Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. We have another <laughs> fun episode. Today is going to be a good one, as it always is. I think I say that every single episode. Dean, have I ever not said that at this point? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, because they're all good episodes. <laughs> you think you guys should be used to it. That's why you're listening. Uh, rental uh, myths, rental income, rental whatever, everything to do with rent. We're talking about that today. Listen, whether you are buying a property with a suite, maybe you're looking to buy a few doors, Airbnb, whatever. If you like to learn, you're going to like this episode. Plus, we made it short and quick. So we tried something a little bit different today. A little bit of this versus that. How'd you, uh, how'd you like it, Dean? It was fast. It was intense. <laughs> I wasn't used to it, but uh, it was fun. And I definitely look forward to doing that again. Yeah. And I'd say like for 90 seconds, guys, for each topic and the this versus that, you're going to get so much from this episode. Even just, if I might say, just sharing that ourselves, we left with so much unsaid, but um, I think you're going to get a whole lot of help and information. And we answered a lot of questions, a lot of feedback, a lot of common concerns that people come up with. We just made things up. We sucked at talking, but <laughs> no, I'm not selling it very well. It's a great episode, guys. You're going to love this one. Hey, by the way, uh, we are still giving away that fancy Thrive mug for all you listeners out there who leave us a lovely <clears throat> five-star review and send us a little heads up or a screenshot letting us know that was you on iTunes. Uh, really helps us give back to you. Of course, please share the episode with your friends. Like it up on Facebook, on Instagram. Send us a screenshot of you listening to it wherever the heck you are. We love to see this stuff. We are at Thrive Mortgage Co. Today, I'm with my partner, Dean Lawton. I'm Alex McFadden. The third uh, amigo is off doing business right now for us, which is fantastic. Anyways, I hope you guys love the episode. We will talk to you soon. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Topic number one, claiming your taxes on your rental property versus not claiming it and just taking cash. So let's talk this through. So, yeah, so what we mean with that is T in your T1 generals, which is what you would submit to your accountant, how are you claiming your rental income on that tax summary or, or not? And it really comes down to when do you have to, like what scenario would you have to do that and what scenario would you say you wouldn't have to do that? So right away, this is your business, guys. If you're buying a rental property, you should, like first of all, from us, you should always be claiming your rental income. I mean, at the end of the day, that's like running a business and just taking cash. Now we see this often with someone who owns maybe one piece of real estate investment or maybe a basement suite, but we've come across these situations where we've had clients who have had multiple properties. Now, you should always consider claiming your investment income for two reasons. One, tax evasion, obviously, we don't want to recommend that. <laughs> and then number two, qualifying, Qualifying, right? yes. Yeah, it makes, a big, it makes a big impact to be able to show that income, you can use that income for the purpose of qualifying. So uh, when would you not need to? Uh, buying a house, 
Yep. So if you're buying a house and you have a property that has a basement screen in it, we may or may not actually need to show that taxable income. Maybe if it was less than one year, but you do have to show it in your account. But I think the moral of the story, guys, is you should show it. You need to claim it on your taxes. You need a good accountant. And it's very important if you're looking to use that rental income to buy your next property. All right, guys, next topic, 90 seconds. Let's run through offset versus add back. Oh, and we'll talk about a bonus in a second. Okay. So Offset versus add back, we, we, we get this all the time. What is the difference? How is it going to impact me? So I'll t quickly touch on offset, where we're basically taking the amount of rental income that is allowed to so the allowable amount of rental income, which is dictated by the lender that we're working with. So we take that percentage, let's use 50% for this example, uh, $1,000 rent, we take 500 and we literally deduct that from the mortgage payment. And that is how we use an offset. Yeah. Whereas an add back is a circumstance where we actually take that, let's say 50%. So if you're earning a thousand dollars a month of rental income, we take that $500, we times that by 12. So that's $6,000 of rental income that we add back to your application. Now, as you can tell, or you could probably imagine that $6,000 of income is not nearly as much as in this case, $500 deduction in your expenses. So generally speaking, we often favor the offset, even though it is is much less prevalent out there. Now there is a bonus. There's something called a rental worksheet or a DCR sheet in the industry. We're not going to go too deep on that, but if you can find a lender that uses a worksheet, which again, going back to the T1 is very important. If you claim your taxes, that is an ideal circumstance. Just keep in mind, every lender uses different, different add backs or offsets. Yeah. Good point. So getting into the next topic, uh, the difference of subject versus non-subject and how uh, rental income can potentially impact that. So going a little over the clock here, uh, getting into uh, subjects and non-subject properties. What does that mean? Well, subject is the property that you're moving into or the property that you're buying and the rental income on the property that you're purchasing, right? So in the circumstance of a subject property, this means the property that you're buying and the one that's being uh, lent on at that time is in fact the property that we're using the rental income. The non-subject property is the one that we're using the rental income from. So as an example, if you're buying a condo and you're lending on that property, that property is the subject. But if you have another property that has rental income you're looking to use, that would be the non-subject property. Really, what does that even mean and why does it matter? At the end of the day, often we're having you know questions from people about why can I use more rental income from my subject property but less from my other property and vice versa. It matters. And setting up yourself for success means knowing these terms. Very important. Very important. Yes. And, uh, you know, always understanding that, uh, that key difference and how we manipulate the income will, or how a lender will look at it differently is, is so key. So, so that is a, that's a really good, uh, really good one to know and understand. Yeah. And a key example of that again would be the suite. Like if you're buying a property that has a suite using the rental income in that property versus buying another property and using the rental income from your suite has two different qualifications. Next one, we are talking about one versus two to four rental. So what does that mean? And uh, how are we looking at that? So what we're what we're talking about here is there's one unit in a property versus two to four in a property. So think of a, a single family home or, or a condo that just has the one unit opposed to say uh, a duplex or a triplex. And how is that, how are we essentially looking at that? And how is a lender going to look at that? So there's a few different ways that we consider these types of properties. Obviously, a property that has two to four uh, units within it is going to have more rental income, but it also changes 
changes some of the rental allowances. You see there are different programs for a two to four. So the duplex, the triplex, or the fourplex in these circumstances actually have different programs which can be backed by the insurance agencies in case of Genworth. Now you still have to put 20% down, but often if you are looking for a higher amount of rental income, lenders will actually be on board or more lenders will be on board with the you know two to four unit rental to use a higher amount of rental income because they can insure it and in what their case is a lower cost to them when compared to that single unit rental. Yeah, yeah, no good point there. And uh, just understanding the I lost it. That's okay. That's okay. We'll keep moving forward. <laughs> this is quick. This is rapid fire. I, really quickly, guys, before we move on to the next one, uh, again, a one versus two to four. So in the two to four, that does not include a basement suite. So your basement suite does not include in that two to four rental. That would be a single family home. So that'd be a single rental. Now let's move on to properties versus doors. This is a big one. Dean, do you want to explain that? Yeah. So we get this a lot. So one door versus one house with a suite or a duplex, you know, understanding that, uh, a door is is essentially just that one unit where uh, a property is it could could really have two or three units in it. So understanding that is is key because some pro some lenders are going to actually only allow you to have a certain amount of doors in your portfolio or a certain amount of uh, properties, and not just with them, but in general, your whole portfolio. Yeah, think of it this way. If you have a duplex and that duplex, each side, which we see a lot of these uh, up in north in the interior and some other areas where there's a duplex that actually has a suite within it. So while there would technically be four doors in that unit, it's only two properties, right? Uh, so at the end of the day, just the distinction, whatever you want to call it, is it two actual properties, two titles, or is it for whatever it is, it's very important to distinguish between having a suite in a property versus actually being its own property and unit. It, yeah, it's key. It, if there's a title to that property, it's likely its own property. And we've seen this in, in, like you mentioned, fourplexes up north where there actually is four titles on that property opposed to just one. So that it's very important and it's somebody we look at with a fine tooth comb. Absolutely. On to the next one, residential lending versus commercial. Okay, so this we really could unpack for an hour. So we're just going to give you some of the Coles notes on this. Dean, you want to yeah. take away on that one? Yeah, exactly. So residential lending is typically uh, when you're borrowing in your name. So your personal name is going to be on title of the property and the mortgage, opposed to where we're when we're looking at commercial lending, uh, we're looking at a company being involved. The company is going to be on title. The company is going to be the borrower in the, in that case. Um, so that's that's a key difference right away. Yeah, with commercial lending, generally speaking, like you have to keep in mind the commercial company or commercial lender or the way that we've set it up, if you will, is considering you or your investment as a business. So we have to treat it like a business. It has to go in a business name. And of course, we have to be proving that this business is earning money. So it's really the qualification metrics around that are much different. You can't walk in typically, at least to your standard bank with your name and, and uh, purchasing a property in your name and get commercial lending. There are some things that you need to consider as far as setting up a company, of course, and making sure it's going in that company's name. But there's also different advantages and guidelines when it comes to commercial lending as far as leniency. They don't care about you having a car loan or a truck loan or any personal debt. They care about that specific property and that specific investment. Exactly. That's where we're looking at uh, what we mentioned earlier, a rental worksheet or a DCR. We're really just looking at what is happening with that property 
what's the expenses on that property and what's the total income that's coming in on that property. All right, another fun one. So typically when we see someone who decides they wanna move up from their one to two door portfolio and start to move on to three, four, five, and maybe more, we start to get a lot more questions about a personal income and personal taxes versus hold co. And we see these questions come up more and more and more these days. And now I think there's something to consider as it pertains to the difference between the two. So personally means you're claiming it as a business. You're basically a sole proprietor, if you will, uh, running your own business and claiming it on your personal taxes as a rental statement of worksheet, uh, rental statement worksheet. Holy cow. And a hold co is basically meaning you're setting up a business where you're funneling the income into that company and essentially buying the rental property in that company, which has some tax advantages that, you know, have changed from time to time, but generally speaking can be beneficial. Yeah, there's certainly tax advantages when it comes to buying a property in a holding company, but even uh, more so, there's a there's a huge advantage to buying a property in a holding company when you need to sell it. So when you need to go and sell that property, there's a lot of people that will buy their individual properties in individual holding companies, and it allows them to sell that property with ease. Uh, meaning, um, for example, a divorce. You, when you when you get into a divorce, um, transferring property, transferring assets could be a lot easier when it's just transferring shares of a holding company opposed to actually transferring the property itself and incurring property transfer taxes. Now it doesn't come without its disadvantages. So keep in mind, not every lender will let you buy a property in a hold co and it does have some limitations. There are some tips and tricks, but that's where we come in. We'll talk more about that another time. Next one, moving into? Yeah, banks versus credit unions. So banks and credit unions are uh, typically very competitive when it comes to just normal residential primary lending. But when it comes to rentals, uh, this is very key and it's very important to understand why a credit union may be a better fit and why a bank may be, be a better fit. So generally speaking, what we found with a lot of the banks is they generally, generally a lot, generally, 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 but they have some good guidelines as it comes down to rental policies and some unique stipulations where they will stretch the budget, if you will, on their guidelines. Where the limitations come in are that they're very strict on what those guidelines are. So essentially they'll give you a little bit more money, but their guidelines are their guidelines. You're not changing them. Credit unions have a lot more flexibility. They are generally more generous. So we're going to keep on that word, more generous as it pertains to the amount of rental income that they'll allow you to use. But some of the disadvantages is if you have time that's not on your side and you're buying a property, awful. They're very slow. They're smaller. They're also much more subjective, which means if they look at a file and they say, hey, we don't really like this, they'll can the file. They'll say no right away. So pros and cons, they will do things that other lenders won't and they will have better policies but they are a little unpredictable. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. All right. Speaking of lenders, conventional lending versus alternative lending, which has become huge since 2018 when the stress test came in and since 2017, 16, since the other insurance rules came in. Thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, uh, we just touched on seven topics here. I, I, I lost track, but we've touched on seven buckets of, of topics here and all of these uh, items are going to look, be looked at very differently compared to a, a conventional lender versus an alternative lender. And when it doesn't quite work with the conventional lending, a bank, a credit union, an alternative lender is there with a little bit more flexibility in a lot of these terms and 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 some of the ones that we're about to get into. Uh, that that's where we can really see an alternative lender step up to the plate and make a deal work. Yeah, to echo your point there, at the end of the day, it comes down to qualifications and guidelines. You know, we had a lot of people that rode the wave in 2000. 
2008 you know, through t- you know, 2014, 2015, where they could buy a rental property with 10% down and 40-year amortization, minimal uh, um, you know, documentation to provide. It's just not that way anymore. And that is the new alt lending. So we just suggest that your clients, our clients for that matter, think about this as an investment and act accordingly. You're buying this as an investment property. So if the numbers make sense, the numbers make sense. And if it allows us to get to 10 doors and you can make money off it, then it's just a deal and you got to make sure that you can go forward with it. So you should always consider all of your options, whether it's conventional, alternative or commercial, all the tools on the table. Yeah. In closing quickly, rates matter and rates are different from lender to lender, especially with alternative. Cool. Holy cow, we're down to the end of it. Let's talk through one more of this versus that. This has been a whole lot of fun. I think we should do this again. Uh, Short-term rental versus long-term rental. Does it matter? It what absolutely, are the types? Sorry to cut you off. It absolutely matters. We I was just speaking to a client today about buying a property that is an Airbnb or they have the intention to, to rent it on Airbnb. Problem being is we don't have a firm lease agreement in place, so we don't know exactly how much that property is going to earn. Plus, it, it, with the seasonal uh, interest in that property, uh, some months, it, summer months, are going to make a lot more money than they are in the winter. This property happens to be in the Lake Country area of, 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 of our province. So that is a very difficult property to qualify with really any rental uh, income. In this scenario, so really, that's not saying that you can't use Airbnb. You can't do an Airbnb. Obviously, a lot of people do it. But what you should know about an Airbnb is a lender specifically looks at risk. That's what they're looking for when it comes to conventional lenders. Okay, and what they're looking at is saying, okay, well, this property is only guaranteed to be rented out one, two, three, four, five nights at a time. Uh, we don't like that because it's not comfortable and there's risk involved, which is really what it is. There's no guarantee that you're going to rent it out for you know a few nights uh, or so. So when it comes to qualifying generally speaking we still have to look at the long-term potential rental income to qualify your property although we are seeing some loosening of the guidelines and we hope that continues in the next few years all right guys we could go on forever i felt like there were so many of those topics i barely touched on but you know what that's just a little bit of a little juice in the can yeah, absolutely. We're definitely going to come back on some of these items. I know there's a number of uh, areas that I would have liked to add a little bit more depth to, but um, yeah, it's just more more reason to share share more information on this on these topics. So if again, uh, if there's any item here that you want to learn more about or you want to hear more about, let us know. Uh, we're absolutely. Uh, willing to, to talk about this topic. We oh don't. man, we got to leave them with some juice before the end of the episode. We're going to have a, have a cliffhanger about my night. No, we have no cliffhanger guys. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe. We'll talk to you soon.